if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to jump around to a whole bunch of places today. You can, you can start in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew. It's right kind of in the middle. Old Testament ends with Malachi. New Testament starts with Matthew. Matthew 18 is right around where we're going to go. You can try to follow along with me with jumping around place to place. Uh, but, or, or you could just follow along with the screens and the slides that we have. We have all the verses on the slides uh, as well. Um, But I'm really glad to be here this morning. We are in a series called Spirit Led. If you've never been with us uh, through this series, we started it last month and through the month of February, uh, we looked at what it was like to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the reason why we did that and the reason uh, that I want to share again this morning is simply this, uh, Galatians 5.16. And uh, the Apostle Paul says to the church in Galatia, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Pretty simple command, but it's to walk by the Spirit. New Living Translation says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And if I can boil this down as to what, what he's really trying to say here, it's there's two different worlds that we live in. Now, some of you have heard this week after week after week. If you're anything like me, you need to hear the same thing over and over and over again before it clicks, you know, and I need to hear a repetition on things to be reminded. Every day I get up, every day I have an opportunity to either choose to walk closer to Jesus or to walk further away. When I've given my life to him, the spirit of God lives in me. What happens at that point determines on who's in control of my life. Either I'm choosing to do things my way, which takes me further from God, or I choose to do things God's way by releasing control of my life so that he can do whatever God wants to do in my life. That's what it is to be spirit-led. I summarized it over the last month by saying simply this. When the Holy Spirit leads us, we're going to look more like Jesus and less like ourselves. So if you want a simple definition of what it means to be spirit-led, we don't have to talk about the gifts of the Spirit or the fruits of the Spirit. We just have to boil it down to say spirit-led people look different. Every day that we're spirit-led, we look more like God and less like us. That doesn't physically mean we will look like God. You and I won't ever, you know, have the complexion of God or the hands of Jesus or the hair. Too bad. But we won't have any of those kinds of things. Um, It's about how we look in our hearts and the character of who we are and how we're letting Christ challenge us and transform us from the inside out. And when you're spirit-led, this is so powerful. One of the songs we sang earlier really reinforced that when we sang Spirit of the Living God. When the Spirit leads us, and we look more like Jesus, it influences, he influences every one of our senses. He influences what we see. We don't just see things from outward circumstances that drive us crazy. We see things from a God perspective. We don't just hear things with physical carnal ears. We hear things from a broader perspective, to listen to God through the stories of what people have wrestled with, to hear the meaning beneath the meaning. It influences how we speak. The words that come out of our mouth should change when we are being more spirit-led. It influences what we touch. It influences our priorities in life, what we value in life, where we spend our time. All of those things are influenced when the Holy Spirit is the one leading us, and it definitely influences our taste, which is what we have a hunger for and a desire for. When we're spirit-led, our tastes look more like the things that draw us closer to God and not the things that draw us away from God. And I've used these examples before, but it is true. When I look over my life and I see the things in the ways that I spent my time, the things that I allow my eyes to focus on, the ways I see circumstances, the ways I listen to different things, all of those things, the things I hunger for, that my, my, my time and my, my priorities and the things say, this is going to give me fulfillment. The more I'm submitted to the Holy Spirit working in us, the more those priorities look more like the things of God and not like my own selfish personal desires. So we did that in, week, uh, in, in the month of February, and then we changed gears last month to talk about, or last week to talk about spirit-filled or spirit-led relationships, because relationships matter in this world. We all understand that relationships matter. We all want to have relationships. Some of you want many relationships, and some of you get anxiety just to hear me say many relationships, okay? Some of you say, I'm good just where I'm at, Pastor Paul, I don't want any more relationships, okay? But here's what I do know. Whether you want to be in center of crowds or you just want one or two people, everyone wants to connect with someone. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be 
in relationship with someone or groups of people. That is a natural instinct. And why? Because God created us to be in relationships. But relationships, as I said last week, can be diverse. We could be talking about parents or spouses or children or senior citizens, uh, single people, married people. It doesn't matter. They can be diverse, coworkers. They can be really, really complicated, right? Anyone ever have a complicated relationship in their lives? Anyone ever have a complicated relationship? Me and three other people, okay? So now everyone else, all of the rest of you are the reason why we're raising our hand. <laughs> You're in denial. <laughs> no, the reality, I say, I, someone told me a couple weeks ago, you say the reality is a lot. I shouldn't tell you that because now you're going to count how many times I say it, but I do say it a lot, actually. The truth of the matter is, okay, that's my new phrase. Um, sometimes we are the people that create the complication, and sometimes we get the complication. The, the truth of the matter is, wow, I caught myself again. Relationships can be complicated. The point that I want to really make here is that relationships were designed by God to be healthy. And we all want not just relationships, but I believe all of us fundamentally want to have healthy relationships. So last week I said, how can we have spirit-led relationships? And the answer was very simple. It was simply this. If you want to have a spirit-led relationship, which is a healthy relationship, we've been created by God. God knows how we're wired. He knows what a healthy relationship looks like. The answer to begin having healthy relationships is to start with us. Healthy relationships begin with us. Or as I said, healthy relationships begin with a healthy you. If I want a healthy relationship with other people, I need to look at myself first. If you want healthy relationships with other people, you have to look at yourself first. Why? Because our health influences the health of our relationships. It doesn't mean you can't have a relationship with someone who's healthier than you. What it means is there will be a limitation on that relationship that you are the one influencing. And if we want healthy relationships that can continue to grow, then we have to always be looking at ourselves to build that up and to grow in that way. That doesn't mean that we just do better things and we work harder. It all comes back to the time we spend in nurturing our relationship with God. And when we're healthy in our relationship with God, our relationships can grow infinitely. And that's the way that it works. So Today, we're going to be looking at one element of healthy relationships. And every week, just as a reminder, every week we're going to look at an example of Jesus through the Gospels and the way that he influenced and taught, the way he related to other people, and how his relationships were examples of how we should be living moving forward. So I hope you're with me and that makes sense. But that's how we're going to look at it every week. God, what are you showing us through your son's relationships on earth? And from that, that will be the marker for us to indicate how we're supposed to live. Today, we are talking about a very difficult topic, but it is a foundational topic that we need to discuss. We are talking about forgiveness. We're going to talk about the need for us to forgive And choosing to forgive is required for us to have healthy relationships. Now, I know when we talk about forgiveness, it can touch on some very, very specific things for people in their lives. Because let's face it, if you have an area of your life that you've had to forgive someone in, it's because it's rooted in some sort of pain, some sort of offense. There's something that's happened that you need to release them from if you have to forgive. And it can be painful. So by talking about it today, what I want to make sure that you understand what we're doing today is hopefully the intent in this is for you to hear that this is to help you. It's not to hurt you. This is one of the areas of our lives when people bring up things that we know we need to let go of or we need to forgive. It can sometimes touch a very sensitive nerve in our own personal lives. And I've had that happen sometimes in my own life where I've sat down and spoken with a counselor or someone something about a situation. And and man, if they know exactly what nerve to touch, it can either bring you to tears or it can bring you to blows, you know, and you don't actually throw fists at them, but you think about it. You know, I know I have a couple occasions talking to some people that I love, but I want to love by saying you need to get out of my face right now. I don't want to have this conversation. So if that's you, please know my motivation is not to create a problem, and it's certainly not to create additional pain. I really believe that if our hearts are open to hear what we have to say and what God's word says about forgiveness, that you can realize great freedom and build a, add a building block to creating healthy relationships. And that's why we have to talk about forgiveness first, because we look at, before we look at any other area of building healthy relationships, if we are not 
focusing on forgiveness first, it will stifle our ability to grow in some of the other areas because we bring our baggage into our relationships. And when relationships are unhealthy and there's unforgiveness in those relationships, we will multiply that in the people that are around us. So forgiveness has to be one of the foundational things. But before we do that, um, I want to define it. And before we define it, I want to pray because I know that this can be a sensitive subject for people. So if you would just join me and just bow your heads, we're just going to say a quick word of prayer and ask God just to speak to us today. So Father, I just come before you today and I just thank you for each person that's here. And God, I know that you hear us and you know our struggles and our pains. You know our regrets. You know our own personal shame. You know what we wrestle with and the pain that we have dealt with. So God, I just pray as we look at this today and our, our eyes see the words, I pray that our hearts would experience truth and we would be changed by your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to each one of us and change us as we open the word of God. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, what, what is a definition of forgiveness? Now, there are many, but I have one, and I took a, took a shot at it. So here's my, my definition that I have for you this morning. The definition of forgiveness is to release. It's to freely give freedom and blessing. It's not about feelings or trust, and it's a decision to let go of our own regrets and our own view of justice. So I'm going to say that again and make a few comments about it. Real forgiveness is to release Okay, it's a releasing of something, okay, to freely give freedom and blessing, okay, where you can actually bless someone and give freedom in a situation. It is not about our feelings and trust, and this is so important for us to understand. You can feel like you don't want to forgive someone, but still forgive them. You may never trust someone the way that you trusted them before, but you can still forgive them. People think sometimes that forgiveness and trust have to be identical. And I've heard people say, well, you mean I'm supposed to forgive them so that just by forgiving them, then life goes back to the way it was and we just continue to go down the path that we went to? No, no, no. Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Forgiveness and feelings are not the same thing. As the definition says, it's a decision to let go of our own regrets, okay? Things that we wish we could have done differently or circumstances we could relive and our own view of justice, because my experience has been that when people have wronged me or hurt me and I've struggled with things in my life, sometimes if I harbor unforgiveness in my heart, I can't release them until justice is served. And my desire is to see them get what's coming to them. Anyone have that experience before? So at least hands going up for that one, you know, and they're like, yeah, man, I want people to get it. And I get that. That's human nature. We want to see justice served. We want to see people really experience what is coming to them because they hurt us and it's not appropriate for us to just release them from that. So if that's a long definition, okay, but the main pieces on that is that it is a release. It gives people freedom and it results in an attitude of blessing towards other people where you don't see them in an ill manner or ill in an ill way, but you're willing to bring blessings upon those people. And it's a decision, like it says here, to not hold on to your own regrets and to do things different, but to see things in view of justice, meaning it is no longer our decision on how it gets worked out. It is God's decision on how it gets worked out. If I could summarize it for you in a very simplistic way, as opposed to thinking about this, it just means we need to let it go. Okay? We just need to let it go. Don't hold back anymore, Alex. Let it go. Okay? Thank you. Let it go. Just bust through the doors and let Elsa take over. Okay, you know what I'm saying here? That's what it means. <laughs> that made more sense than the definition, I think, right? It's just a simple way of saying that. Let it go sounds so easy, but the reality is this is hard sometimes, isn't it? When someone just says, just get over it, just let it go. How do you do that when my heart feels broken? How do you do that when I feel pain and abandonment? How do I do that when I'm wounded and hurt? How do I just release someone and let it go? Well, I think the answer to that is really looking at the life of Jesus. And this is where it gets really powerful because Jesus didn't just tell us how to deal with this. He showed us that he also experienced a lot of the same things. And that's what I love about his relationships. Do we think Jesus experienced broken promises? Yes, he did. Do you know that Jesus experienced incredible loneliness? 
Do you know that Jesus experienced abandonment? Do you know that Jesus experienced probably one of the greatest offenses, betrayal? All of those things Jesus experienced, and yet he demonstrates in the word how in his relationships with those people, he forgave them and what forgiveness really looks like. So what I want to do before we actually talk about what he says about forgiveness is to give us a high-level understanding of one relationship that he walked through that I think shows a very clear um, example of what Jesus walked through and how he forgave them. So Jesus had 12 disciples, and one of the, the top three, I would say, in his top three were Peter. His name was Simon. Jesus changed his name to Peter later on in his ministry. But Peter was super close to Jesus. He spent all of his time with Jesus for the most part. For three years, they walked together with the other disciples, and he had a very close relationship with Peter. And there are examples through the Gospels on how Jesus interacted with Peter, and I want to show you just what kind of relationship that they actually had. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus says to the disciples, who do you say I am? Now he says this after he says to the disciples, um, other people are saying, what about me? And the disciples say, well, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're Elijah. And then he looks at the disciples and he goes, what about you guys? You've been walking with me. You've seen the miracles I've done. You've seen the truth I've spoken. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answers in verse 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter makes a declaration right, off, right out of the gate saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the one we have been waiting for. And all of Israel has been waiting for this Messiah and this anointed one. Peter makes the declaration that that's who Jesus is. In John chapter 6, there's a story of Jesus as he feeds over 5,000 people with a handful of bread and a handful of fish. And then he says to these people, after there's thousands of people there, he says, if you really want to be my disciple, you need to eat my body and you need to drink my blood, which was not a literal thing. He wasn't promoting cannibalism. He was saying, what you're, I'm really saying is that if you want to be my follower and my disciple, then you need to stop serving yourself and start serving me. But people didn't understand it. They said, this is a hard teaching. Who can understand this? And they leave and they desert him. In verse 66, says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Verse 67, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you going to leave me? And then look what Simon Peter says in verse 68. Simon Peter replies, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and know you are the Holy One of God. Jesus is spoken to by Peter in this example, and he says, Jesus, I know you're the source of life. There is no life that I can have that's better than being in relationship with you. Where are we going to go to get the kind of life that comes from only you? If we fast forward to the Last Supper, where he sat and he broke bread and he drank from the cup, and he told the disciples what was getting ready to happen, that he would be handed over and he would be crucified for the sins of the world. And he breaks the, the bread and says, this is my body broken for you. And he drinks of the cup and says, this is my blood that will be shed for you. He predicts not just uh, that he's going to die, but he also says to the disciples, specifically Peter, he says, Satan has asked to sift you. What does he mean by that? It means Satan has asked to rattle Peter's faith and get him to disown Jesus and to walk his own way, shaking of his faith. But look what Peter says in Luke 22, verse 33. Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. See how the relationship was so close? Even in the last moments before he gets ready to be arrested, he says, I'm going to go to prison with you if they come for you. I am going to die with you because I am fully committed to you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he is betrayed, right before he is taken away and arrested, Jesus says this, Matthew 26, 33 to 35, Peter makes this declaration after Jesus predicts they're all going to betray him. Peter says, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. And then Jesus says this in verse 34, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Deny that you even knew me. No, Peter insisted. And then he says it again. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. 
And if you know anything about the rest of the story, you know that when the, when the guards came and they took him away and Judas betrayed him with a kiss, that all the disciples scattered. They all ran for their lives and they all hid. And Peter followed behind to find out what was going on. But over the course of that evening, we see that God, or that Peter did, I'm sorry, betray Jesus and deny him. Not once, not twice, but three times he denied Jesus. So much so that in Matthew 26, 74, he swears on an oath to the person that says you were with him. And he basically, the oath was to proclaim curses on himself, to say, so help me God, Let there be curses placed upon me if I ever knew that man. He walked with Jesus. He told Jesus that he was the son of God, that he was the only one who was the source of life. When everyone else abandoned Jesus and he said, are you going to leave me too? He said, where would we go? You're the only one that has the source of life. When they sat there at the last supper in the communion table and they broke bread together, he said, I'm going to go to prison with you. I'm even going to die with you if that's, your, if that's the, the thing that needs to happen. And then when he was arrested, he said, I'll never deny you. And yet, overnight, not once, not twice, three times he denies Jesus. It's a beautiful story as it ends because when Jesus is crucified and resurrected and he approaches Peter again, you see how he forgives him three times for the three times that he denied him. But I share that story with you before we go any further because I think this is really important for us to understand. Jesus understands betrayal. He understands when relationships go bad. He understands when well-intentioned people actually hurt us in very significant ways. He just understands the pain that we experience. And he gives us an answer on what it looks like and how we're supposed to respond. So I want to look at this through the, through the lens of Jesus and his relationships, looking at simply how we choose to forgive. And we're going to examine three questions this morning briefly. We're going to look at these three questions. First question we're going to say is, so what did Jesus say about forgiving others? In scripture, what do we see? Now that we know that Jesus has experienced it, what does he say about forgiving others? The second question we're going to look at is, why is it important to forgive others? Or why is it important to forgive? And the third is simply, how can I choose to forgive? Because if, if you agree with what Jesus said about it, and you agree with the significance behind it, you still need to know how to do it. And many times we fill ourselves with information and we don't actually apply it. And information without application brings frustration. So we need to not just know it, we need to know how to do it so that we can actually walk it out. So what did Jesus say about forgiving others? Well, there's a great passage in Matthew 18 where Jesus and Peter have this conversation about forgiveness. I think it's funny that Peter was the one that actually had this conversation. But in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked this question, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy times. Seven times. Now, let's be clear about what's happening here. A lot of people have commented on this. Jesus is not saying that there's 490 opportunities to forgive somebody. That's not what the point is. What he's saying here is that true repentance should involve turning from sin and some latter rabbis limited opportunities for forgiveness for a given sin to three times. So it was considered sufficient sometimes to forgive someone up to three times in the history. And some of the rabbis made concessions for certain types of sins to say, you can do it up to three times. After that, you don't have to do it. Peter goes to seven times because scripturally what you see, Old New Testament, that the number seven is associated with the number of completeness. God created the earth and the world in what? Seven days, six days on the seventh that he rested. It's a sign and a number of completeness. And what Peter's really saying here, I think, is, you know, the the teachers are saying that up to three times is probably okay. What about seven? What if we did it more than twice? Seven is the number that's complete. Is that all right, Jesus? And Jesus' response was, no. Don't do it seven times. Do it 77 times. Basically, he's saying, never hold grudges. Or if I can make it really simple, two words, always forgive. Always forgive. And that's the standard that Jesus gives his disciples. It's the standard that all of us need to understand applies to us as well. That forgiveness is a lifestyle that we are always supposed to walk out. 
If you're looking for a more clear example of that, I could go to Luke 17, 3 through 4, and look what Jesus says about this. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times he comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Now that's a heavy scripture. We could sit on this one for a little bit. What is he saying? There is an unlimited amount of forgiveness we're supposed to give to those around us. Remember the definition I said was it's not about emotions or feelings and it's not about trust. It's simply about releasing someone so that we no longer harbor ill feelings towards them. In fact, we can instead of curse them, we can bless them. And we see them with that release. It doesn't mean relationships are all restored. It doesn't mean that there is a, um, a return to normal where there's no trust issues anymore. Trust, I've heard people say this, trust can take a lifetime to earn and a moment to destroy. And you can still forgive someone even though trust has been destroyed. And that's important for us to remember. Jesus makes it very clear. The mindset of how we're supposed to live is to forgive every day over and over again, and not hold on to things that could cause bitterness and resentment. That's the first point. The second question, why is it important for us to forgive? Okay, Not just what does Jesus say about this, but why is it important for us to forgive? And before I talk about this, let me just say this. Um, Choosing to forgive others benefits you more than it benefits other people. When God is calling us to forgive, it's about us. It's not about other people. Remember, healthy relationships begin with a healthy you, and it's about your well-being, not someone else's well-being. And here's how I know that. Because you can forgive someone that you can have a relationship with. You can forgive someone who's not repentant of what they've done. You can forgive someone that you'll never see again. You can forgive someone that's passed away. And all of those situations apply in every one of those situations. It's not about the other person. It's about you. So why is it so important for us to forgive? What does it benefit me or how does it benefit me? It's simply this. Unforgiveness prevents you from having a relationship with God. In fact, a healthy relationship with God. If I harbor unforgiveness towards anyone in my heart, I jeopardize a healthy relationship with God. Unforgiveness is a barrier that keeps us from being in intimate relationship with God. In Matthew 6, we see after the Lord's prayer in verse 14, Jesus says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And this scripture is not salvific, meaning it's not about salvation. He doesn't withdraw salvation from people because salvation is not works-based. The work that was done on the cross is all that needs to happen so that you and I can have relationship with God as we put our faith in him. So it's not about that. What he's saying here is, listen, I have created you to breathe. And you're going to take life in and you're going to give life to other people. I'm going to give you life by giving you something to breathe in. And I'm going to give you life to breathe out to other people. And as you breathe in, you'll be filled. And as you breathe out, you can fill other people. If you choose to forgive, this is what you can experience. If you choose unforgiveness and to hold on to those things, you choke yourself. And when you choke yourself, air can't come in and air can't come out. And when we choke ourselves, we stop the ability to hear from God. We cease being able to hear clearly from God, and we cease being able to pour out to people in a healthy way as well. And that's what unforgiveness does. Now, that doesn't mean that if you have one issue that you struggle with in returning, re- regarding forgiveness or unforgiveness, that everything gets thrown out. This is all degrees, and it's all limitations in levels. So yes, you could still do something, but you'll never be able to have the type of intimate relationship that God wants to have with you if you harbor unforgiveness. Have you ever tried to choke yourself? Don't. You see, this this is crazy, but like people who are thinking clearly would never try to choke themselves. And yet we do that every day if we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts. 
because we don't allow the love of God, the peace of God, the refreshment of God in our lives if we choke ourselves and we also can't give away to other people. What we give out is poison. What we give out is wounding. And we can't hear. So maybe you've known someone that have said, I'm just having a hard time forgiving this person or I'm having a hard time hearing God or I don't know what's going on. Going back to unforgiveness is one of the most important things to deal with to have healthy relationships because if there is an unforgiveness thread through our lives that could be weeks old or years old, God wants to grab that and dig that out of our lives so that we can release that person so that we can breathe again. He wants you and I to breathe and deep breathe in his power and breathe in relationship with him so that we can love others the way that he wants to love us. And harboring unforgiveness is a barrier that we build around ourselves where nothing good gets in and nothing good gets out. There's this pond that existed um, at this house when I was a kid and 12 years old, I had an opportunity to start get my first job, my official first job. And, and I did landscaping work um, at this lady's house up the road from me. She went to our junior high school and filled out a form that she needed this landscaping help. And, and I was 12 years old and uh, got on a bike and I went up to this house and just started working on her property, cutting her lawn and doing weeds and picking up sticks and doing all that. And she lived right next to this little pond and uh, it was a decent sized pond. And, um, People would go there and fish all the time. And she had this giant willow tree, and I had to pick up all the junk from the willow there. Dirty trees, man. I just remember that. All this stuff all over the place. And the geese loved her property, so I had to wear special shoes to cut the grass so that I could leave them outside when I was done trimming the lawn, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. The geese loved that lawn. Um, But the people loved that property. And on the one side of it, there was her property, and then there was a Jewish temple on the other side of the pond. And people would fish there all the time. And she would let them on the property. And it was actually pretty cool to see people catch some really cool stuff. Well, a number of years into this, because I cut her lawn all the way through high school and college, um, into my college years, when the developers came through and the building um, uh, uh, contractors came through, they changed the inlet and the outlet of that pond and basically closed them off as they were doing development and rerouting water and drainage and everything. And that pond no longer had an inlet or an outlet. And it became the most disgusting, stinky, smelly body of water that I ever saw. And I never wanted to go near it. Like you get all the green haze and algae and junk over the top. You know that stuff where like if you'd like go fishing and it would like just stick all over like your pole and your wire and everything. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? The fish died. Okay. The geese left and nobody, nobody went there to visit and fish anymore. And I look at that example and I think, why did that happen? Because the inlet was blocked and the outlet was blocked. And our hearts can have the exact same impact if we harbor unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness is like blocking the inlet and blocking the outlet. It chokes us of life. And if you're here this morning and you're wrestling with unforgiveness in any capacity in some level, there is a part of you that is dying to be revived. God wants you to experience new life by letting that go. And that is the motivation why he wants us to forgive other people so that we can have healthy relationships. So what does Jesus say about it? Always forgive. Why is it important to forgive? Because it prevents us from having a healthy relationship with God. The last question is simply this. How can I choose to forgive? How can I choose to forgive? And there's three things I want to briefly mention to you this morning. How can I choose to forgive? Number one, remember how much God has forgiven you. Remember how much God has forgiven you. There's a parable that Jesus says in Matthew 18, after the 70 times 7, where he talks about an unmerciful servant. And he talks about a servant who owed what was 10,000 talents of gold. In the story, it says 10,000 talents of gold is roughly 60 to 100 million days wages. Okay? So just in case you're trying to do the math, none of us will live for 100 million days on this planet. But there was a guy that owed 60 to 100 million days wages. That guy had someone who owed him about 100 days wages. And the first guy went to the guy who was his debtor and he pleaded with him. And in the story, he says, you know, please forgive me of this. I can't pay it back. And the debtor looks at the man and says, your debt has been absolved. I'm not going to make you pay that debt anymore. 60 to 100 million days wages have been completely wiped off your record. You are now debt free. 
And as thankful as that man was, he gets up and he leaves and he goes to the guy that owes him 100 days wages and he threatens him. And he says, you need to pay me back everything that you owe me. The guy can't pay him. So he torments the guy. Well, word gets back to the guy who forgave him. And he goes back to this guy and he says, I forgave you 60 to 100 million days wages. And you still hold this man accountable for his 100 days of debt. I tell you what I'm going to do. The debt is back on you. And I'm going to throw you in prison until you can pay back every single penny of it. And you're going to be tormented because of that. And I'm sharing that story with you because it is incredibly powerful. And in verse 32 of Matthew 18, this is what he says. The king calls uh, in the man who had been forgiven. And he says, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And my point in saying that is simply this. When we understand the the degree of, of, of debt that we have and how God has forgiven us of such a great offense, every other offense that's been committed towards us is not valuable. It means every other offense that we have is forgivable because God forgave us of the greatest possible offense. So if we look at it through that perspective in a heart of gratefulness for what God has given us, we should more willingly be able to forgive someone else of a much lesser offense. So that's one of the things we have to be focusing on. That if you really want to practice how to choose to forgive people, start there and be reminded of the fact that there is no offense that any one of us could have ever experienced. And I say that carefully because I know we live in a very perverted, broken world. And there are people that are listening to this that have experienced tremendous wounding and hurt at the hands of other people, either intentionally or unintentionally. But I want you to hear this again. What Jesus is saying is that it doesn't matter what kind of relationship you have with that person anymore. What matters is that you can release them so that you no longer carry this burden. And that's the whole point of what he was saying, though we're not going to read that part. He does. The king throws the man in prison and torments him. And that's exactly what happens to us when we choose not to forgive. God isn't taking us and throwing us in prison and saying, serves you right. No, what he's saying is, you become tormented until you're willing to forgive. If you can't release someone, you put yourself in your own prison. And when you're in your own prison and you're not releasing that forgiveness to someone else, you will continue to struggle and struggle and struggle. The key to this is not to focus on the offense. The key to it is to release the offense and let God breathe new life in you. It's a big, big, big deal, guys. And we have to talk about this and be very clear that he's saying choose to forgive because if you hold on to your unforgiveness, if I hold on to my unforgiveness, I will never, ever, ever be able to let go of the thing in my heart. And I'll relive that story over and over again. And I'll tell people what's happened to me so I've been hurt or wounded. And I'll continue to share these things and my mind will feel imprisoned, my heart will feel tortured, and I won't experience the life that God called me to live. And we can't experience true healthy, spirit-led relationships. So we have to recognize and remember what God has already done for us. The second thing that we need to do is we need to pray for people who have hurt us. If you want to choose to forgive, pray for people who have hurt you. This is very, very practical. And I'll be real honest with you, it's very hard sometimes. Now, when I say pray for people, Let me clarify what that means. And Jesus does talk about it a little bit. In verse 43 of Matthew 5, he says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Romans 12, 14 says, bless those who persecute you. So praying for those that are your enemies doesn't mean in Jesus' name, give them what they deserve. Oh, I can pray for him, Pastor Paul. Lord, let him see the light and zap him in Jesus' name. And I know somebody that said that. They've prayed that over their friends or their enemies or whatever. Just zap them. I pray you just zap them. And I'm like, what is that mess? You don't pray zapping people in Jesus' name. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's good to laugh, isn't it? Because we're all sitting here going like, we've prayed something like that before. (laughs) I don't love them. 
You do, God. Just show them how much you love them through the discipline of love. (laughs) Right? Anybody ever been there before? (laughs) Oh, that bad news came. Oh, I'm really sorry for them. (laughs) Really glad, right? Come on, we know what we're talking about here. Let's be honest. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Praying for people who have hurt you means that you can release them and you can bless them. You can bless them. I'm going to say it one more time. You can bless them. Can you bless people who have wounded you? Can you declare blessings and, and you want their best interest at hand? Can you do that? It is hard to do that. Some of you have heard this story from a number of years ago, but it is so relevant. I tell it again because I think, thank, thank God for people that are willing to speak into our lives at the right time. But I remember being in a hospital, having to go to a hospital visit many years ago. And I was going to visit someone that, quite honestly, had a problem with us or me, had a problem with our church, had a problem with, they just had problems with stuff. And uh, it wasn't going to be long until they were leaving and they were going to move on and God was going to call them somewhere else. Um, but, but I, they were still part of our church and, and I knew that God was calling me to go visit them in the hospital and I did not want to do it. And I was like, this would be a good time to have a staff member that I could just say, this is your job, go do that. I'm not doing that just being honest with you. I did not want to go, but I went out of obedience. And I remember I went out of obedience and I went and I had the visit and we had a conversation. It was actually a good conversation and I got to pray for them. And, you know, they thanked me for being there and it was a good thing. I just, my heart just wasn't in it. I didn't want to be there because I knew what it felt like. I knew the pain of offense. I knew the pain of feeling wounded to say, wow, like I do what I can. I'm not perfect, but like, stop shooting at me. You know, like I'm getting sick of that after a while in that situation. And my wife, she, she was in the car with me uh, when we were talking about this situation. And, um, well, she told me at one point, she said, uh, you're harboring offense and unforgiveness against that situation and those people. And I was, she was right. But I didn't want her to be right. Isn't it good to have people in your life that can just speak honestly to you about that stuff? You know? I just didn't like the fact that she said it. It still was true. And the truth of the matter is anyone should be able to speak some truth in a loving way to someone else if they're a believer. And you can, you can, whether or not you've given them permission to speak in your life, if it's true, you should ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom on how to handle it. But thank God there are people that are closest to us that can speak. And she told me, I remember sitting in the car in the parking lot, and she said, you're harboring offense to them, and uh, un- you're harboring unforgiveness against that situation, and, and you, you should do something about that. And I was like, you know, whatever, I'll do something about it. And she took the keys out of the car and stuck it in her pocket and said, we're not going to leave until you pray for them. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, vaguely you remember that. You remember it. <laughs> I was so angry. I was angry at two things. One, I was angry at my wife for speaking honestly about that because she was right. But you know what? I was really angry that I felt that way about someone that I shouldn't. And I know that it stands directly in, in opposition to what God's word says. So she said, so pray for them. And when you're done praying for them, I'll give you the keys back and we'll leave. And I was like, this is my car. Give me my keys. And (laughs) I sat there in silence for like five minutes, closed my eyes. And I was like, I'm not going to do this. And I just sat there and I wouldn't do it. But you know what? Like it started because I was like, she meant, she would meant like seriousness. We're going to, we're going to do this. And and she was right. And I just started praying a little bit. And I'm not going to tell you like the skies open and the car shook and the Holy Spirit showed up and the fire came from heaven. I'm not going to tell you any of that stuff. What I can tell you is making the choice to start to choose to pray for somebody opened my heart up to receive from God. Because the self-choke hold that I had on myself began to loosen up. And in the same moment that I could actually start to pray for them, I began to pray more for them. I began, it became easier for me to pray for them. And in the same time that I was able to bless someone else, God was able to bless me. And it's an experience that I'll never forget. He calls each one of us to pray for people that have hurt us. Let me ask you, who has hurt you today? Who are your enemies you know, an enemy doesn't have to be someone that lives on the other side of the world or your boss who's, you know, giving you a bad performance review or somebody that, you know, believes the exact opposite of you. Your enemy in this moment could be the someone sitting next to you. Really. 
Your enemy could be someone that's sitting right next to you that you are in complete disagreement with or you're at odds with for some reason, and you need to make it right. And there's an unforgiveness that's going on there that needs to be dealt with. Can I tell you one of the ways to see that happen, to open up your heart so it's no longer hard on the outside but it's soft, is to pray for those that you are calling an enemy. To let God speak to your heart and begin obediently praying for them. It actually works, my friends. It does. So recognize what God has done for you. Pray for people who have hurt you. And the last thing I want to mention as our worship team comes to close today is simply this. Do it every day. Do it every day. Forgiveness is something that we have to give every day. In the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus told his disciples, this is how you're supposed to pray, he simply said this, give us today the food we need. Some of you know it as give us today our daily bread. And then he says in verse 12, and forgive us of our sins as we have been forgiven or if we have forgiven those who sin against us. And the two of them are not coincidental that they're together. He says, give us our daily food that we need. What is he saying? Come to me every day for life. Go to God and say, God, every day I need to come before you for life. Why? Because there's relationship in daily connections. There's relationship in daily connections. There's a better chance that you're going to know the mailman that drops off the mail at your house every day than you're going to know the person that works at the Costco line that you visit once a month. Why? Because you see them every day. You have relationship with them and you have a connection every single day. And God's saying the same thing in this. Come to me every day for food. And when you're coming to me for strength in life every day, part of your prayer is every day, give me the strength to forgive those that have hurt me. Give me the strength every day to forgive those who have sinned against me, just as you every day has to forgive me for what I do against you. See how that works? We continue to offend God by being imperfect people. And God says, I come to you every day, and when you seek forgiveness from me, I forgive you because the cross was all that needed to happen for that to continue. So every day, when your offenses are things you struggle with, seek forgiveness. Ask God to forgive. Ask God to soften your heart. There are some instances that you may have some things in your life. And those are things that, it's how do we say, they're so deep-rooted that a simple prayer isn't going to be enough. But every time you ask God to forgive, it's like a muscle. It gets easier, and it gets easier, and it gets easier. And there may be some things right now that you look at your own life and you examine and you say, God, Spirit, you're, you're talking to me about this unforgiveness right now. And, and it doesn't go back a week or a month. It goes back since I was a kid. It goes back since, you know, since that relationship that went south 20 years ago. And I still haven't forgiven that person of that because it's so deep-seated in my heart. God can take that away from you in a moment. Or he can show you that it's a process as you trust him that he will continue to release you into freedom. It's a process. And the team's going to close this morning with amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I found, was blind but now I see. We're going to sing how our chains are gone and the whole purpose of singing that today is again to remind us that as we remember who we were without God and we see how he reached us with a heart of forgiveness, he can strengthen us and empower us to give forgiveness to others. Would you stand with me this morning? Before this, the team sings and, and I encourage you to sing along, I want to know, I want you to know a couple things. One, our altars are open. And we're going to invite our altar team people to come up now. And they're not going to face you during our worship time. They're going to face the front and they're going to worship along with us. But as we sing this song, I'm going to pray just for a moment. I'm going to ask Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us today. So that he knows or that you know that he sees you. And if he's drawing you to him to let something go and release someone, 
then you release it this morning. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I just, I just thank you for today. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Spirit of God, for your loving kindness. We thank you, Spirit of God, for loving us enough to speak the hard truth to us, but to draw us closer to you. And I ask this morning, as there are those that are here this morning that are harboring unforgiveness towards others, a friend, a parent, a spouse, maybe they've been wounded by them, maybe they've been betrayed, maybe they've been abandoned, maybe someone's been unfaithful to them, Lord, I don't know. What I do know is that if we're harboring unforgiveness in our hearts today, you can give us the strength to release it today. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each person here this morning. Reveal to them right now what needs to be released. And I'm going to walk you through a simple prayer. This isn't the end-all, be-all. It's just the beginning. And if your heart's in this place, I want to ask just with your heart open that you would just say, Lord God, I see the unforgiveness in my own heart. Soften my heart and fill me afresh.